behind the curtain of Australia's billion-dollar media and entertainment industry. That's entertainment. The personalities. So Lisa has not slept, and neither has come. What do we even need producers for? The politics. The Murdoch uh, print media platforms no longer provide anything approaching balance to news reporting. The pressures. I'm not sure that people are aware of the impact it has. Unfiltered unedited and uncut. Oh, I didn't even realise we were starting. <laughs> Buckle in for a hot take on the week's biggest headlines and insider scoops. He spent 37 years with the record label but was fired in June. That's Entertainment with Jake and Viv starts now. What have you got on the best shows ever? In the great tradition of That's Entertainment, this podcast, uh, one of us is late. This time, though, it's not my co-host, Vivian Kelly. It is I. Sorry about that. Uh, but I'm actually impressed that you are here at our new rescheduled recording time, given you are juggling a lot this week. Firstly, I'd like to say that uh, there's this guy who works in radio and podcasting who calls himself Radio Mike. He does a lot of work with Hamish and Andy and... Will Anderson, and he posted something on social media the other day that said every yeah. podcast includes the hosts joking about how unprofessional they are, and we've opened with a joke about how unprofessional <laughs> we are. Yeah. And after he posted that, he said that like 10 podcasters got in touch with him being like, was that about me? Uh, so we've done it. We've ticked the box for Radio Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. And lots of jokes about, oh, should we cut that? Nah, fuck it, leave it in. And, and we do that as well. Uh, but, yes, in answer to your actual question, I am juggling a lot this week. I'm doing a lot of different, free, different freelance work across different publications and it means tonally I might fuck it up today. That's okay. Shall we just get... Uh... Shall we just get the ball rolling then? Let's do it. Let's be professional. I can't hear you at all. Oh. Oh, there you are. You're back. Did you say something after I said get the ball rolling? Uh, yeah, I did. I said, um, let's do it. Let's be professional. Yep. One of our internet is really bad. Um... <laughs> This week on That's Entertainment, is the fight to save neighbours already kaput? Do breakfast radio stars have too much power? And in this week's hot take, should checkbook journalism be banned? Viv, let's begin with the fight to save neighbours after uh, its British broadcaster Channel 5 decided to pull funding uh, and no longer take the program, which essentially equates to roughly, uh, per a few reports, around 20 to $25 million in revenue. It really sent you know, shockwaves through the industry this week. That show is so well-loved and adored, not just by people here in Australia, but also overseas. But you could kind of argue that... Uh, the beginning of the end for Neighbours was when 10 moved it over to uh, what is now Peach was then 11. I think that was the beginning of the end for Neighbours in Australia, but that was never really the backbone of its popularity and its funding. So much of that comes from its UK broadcast deal. In the UK, it remained so popular. Its ratings remained really strong even when they were struggling in Australia. So without a UK broadcast partner and with the lower ratings in Australia on that multi-channel, 
it's really not going to survive just on that Australian audience alone. If uh, Fremantle Media failed to secure another British or even another major international broadcast partner to keep Neighbours uh, on the air, we're talking about a lot of job losses here. I mean, set designers, costume makers, actors, directors, etc. A couple of the cast and previous cast members, including Rob Mills, have come out and said, hey, Scott Morrison, do more for the arts. Here's an opportunity to really make a statement and save Neighbours. Is that a good use of government money, though? I think Scott Morrison and the federal government uh, have enough on their plate at the moment with the ridiculous debate about the religious discrimination bill and all the other things that they should and won't get done uh, between now and May. So I think intervening in Neighbours, whilst it would save a lot of jobs, would only be done as a PR opportunity for them. I did note as well, there's, I think it was B105 in Brisbane, it might have been the Stav, Abby and Matt uh, breakfast show, sort of creating this event and encouraging everybody in Australia to watch Neighbours at the same time in a bid to get its ratings up, in a bid to save the program and tell Channel 10 this is still a viable, popular program. It's just not about that, though. You know, that would rely on the people who have the actual Oztam measurement boxes from also tuning in to get that data and to make it look like that proportion of Australia is watching the program. And I just don't think that's enough. They need the money from overseas. They need the engagement from overseas. They need that partnership from overseas. It would be devastating for the Australian entertainment and television industry, particularly because that program has been around longer than I've been alive. So there'd be all sorts of lifers on that program and people who've built it from from start to finish. And if they have to end abruptly, it probably won't get the farewell that it deserves. I do love that you managed to tie in the uh, religious discrimination (laughs) bill there. Begs to differ, begs the question rather, Home and Away has been hugely successful. Uh, it's managed to stay relevant. It's managed to stay pretty much on prime time on the Seven Network arrival. I wonder if that's the Hemsworth effect. Is it because Seven does a better job at drama or is it just a better format? It has the beach factor, which is huge. As popular as Neighbours is in the UK, it doesn't sort of sell Australia to the world in that typical idyllic fashion of being set in Summer Bay the way that Home and Away does. Both programs could sort of boast a a version of the Hemsworth effect. They've both produced international superstars and local superstars and been responsible for many a career. A huge part of the problem locally would be that Channel 10 did move that program across to its multi-channel, whereas Channel 7, through thick and thin ups and downs, has kept home and away in that prime time 7pm spot no matter what, which has sort of brought in its consistent ratings, ratings that are consistent enough. The other challenge that Channel 10 has compared to Channel 7 is it just has a lower ratings base than Channel 7. So Channel 7 has the lead-in of its news program. It has the lead-in of that million-plus audience throughout the week. Channel 10 rarely gets an audience of a million-plus, and it's certainly not getting that lead-in from its uh, 10 Eyewitness News or 10 News First, whatever they call it these days. So it's on the back foot in terms of ratings and in terms of its uh, visibility to Australian audiences. It's uh, it's been a roller coaster. Absolutely, the last twenty four hours or thirty six hours, as as you can imagine, uh, kind of a lot of information to try and process. But um, I feel still a bit in shock, yeah. uh, a bit overwhelmed. But yeah, we had a meeting today where our um, 
producers gave us some more information, really nothing more that's already been out there. But, look, I have to say the feeling was one of... It was just... It was quite lovely. You know, everybody is... We're sad, we're all crying, we're all very emotional about it all, but we're all so determined to bring this show home. For 10, there's also the question around quotas because all the networks uh, have to produce a certain amount of Australian content uh, and air that content uh, each, uh, each week or month, whatever it is. Uh, so that will leave a hole to fill, right? It will, and a number of Australian TV networks for some time have been pushing back against local content quotas, saying it puts them on unequal footing with the streaming giants who get to benefit from and profit from audiences here but don't have the same obligations in terms of local content. So I'm sure if Neighbours gets the axe and if Neighbours doesn't get government support, it will be just another reason for them to fly the flag and question uh, the viability of content quotas, perhaps though uh, Channel 10 could target one of those streaming giants as a broadcast partner. That's something that has been speculated. Will Neighbours be saved by a traditional broadcasting uh, platform or will it be saved by, you know, an international streaming giant? All right, up next, do breakfast radio stars have too much power? If you and I were straight onto the uh, the DMs on a back and forth after some audio was shared with us uh, from the Kyle and Jackie O show in which Kyle had somewhat of a, a tantrum and walked out after abusing his co-host Jackie O Henderson uh, and newsreader Brooklyn Ross uh, over the texting scandal that's plaguing the Prime Minister in the lead up to the next election. Nothing went on. And even if it did, who gives a shit? Can I tell you why we care? Yeah, because the press release came out and you're all f- lazy loser journalists and you all just type the same shit. And it's bullshit. Ouch. Okay. No one disca- no one goes out and really looks. Everyone just goes, oh, some clown from the ABC said this. Let's cut and paste it. That's journalism in the current year. You're a nice guy, Brooke, and don't get me wrong. You're not in you're not it's not your responsibility. But you gotta admit, journalism now is cut and paste. Not check, not clarify, not double check. Let's just get this shit out for clicks. Quickly, how many people are looking at our website? Oh, I think facts all you don't mean. matter. There was a little snippet in that, uh, in that tirade that you and I both clocked, as did plenty of others, uh, and that is uh, whether Kyle had the authority to dictate what did and what did not make the news. We've seen other major broadcasters, uh, very influential ones, including Alan Jones, try and fail at making similar attempts. But here we are. It's on our front. It's, on, it's, it's leading our headline today. Well, I guess, I, yeah, it's I a story. I think people know, know what's it. happened. It's no, off the news. People are aware of what's happened. Like, yeah. Scott Morrison has been put to him. There's this text message, apparently, that someone's seen. Yes. He's responded to it. Gladys has responded to it. And we make up our own minds. What, like, yeah. we're not I, here listen, thinking. Just turn your mic off, <laughs> You're finished. Yeah, get out. Are you serious? Yes, I'm serious. What are you? I don't understand. Like, we you don't, don't have to understand. I, if what you need to do is just listen instead of trying to come up with arguments all the time. I'm not. I'm just what trying I'm to tell you my side like, of the story, and you've got your side of the story of what we think. There's about no this side. Article. I'm just saying, no one's seen it. Even if it's true, it doesn't mean Gladys thinks he's horrible. Well, he could be a that. horrible person. No, I you said, didn't. I said it. I said that I'm she might have. Do the show by yourself. What a f- show it'll be. 
We want you, Kyle. Do you think Kyle has that sort of power over the newsroom? And is that a good or a bad thing? Well, he certainly thinks he has the power or would like to have the power. I guess the fact that Brooklyn Ross reported on this uh, allegation about uh, Scott Morrison being a horrible, horrible person, according to former New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian, shows that he didn't execute that power because he was very against that being part of the news agenda that day and Brooklyn did it anyway. I think the whole uh, tantrum was quite bizarre, even though Kyle is absolutely known for that and probably profits from that in terms of audience engagement and ratings numbers. It did just seem a little bit disproportionate to the actual story, which is why at first I thought it might be staged. I thought it might not be real. Uh, we have a ratings uh, book coming up, the The results of which will be released in March. Uh, shows were back after a pretty crazy Christmas COVID period. I just wondered if it was staged for media attention, but I know that you didn't think so. No, I made a few inquiries uh, straight after it to try and find out whether this was just made for radio or whether this was a a genuine uh, meltdown by Kyle. And look, he's had plenty previously, and I'm sure some of them have been a bit of a beat up, uh, even if there was sort of something to uh, to initially spark it that might have been genuine. But I certainly got the sense that this was absolutely uh, an authentic moment uh, for King Kyle last week. It was very uncomfortable radio. It was hard to listen to. Uh, and I think there were a few telltale signs during that audio, having gone back and listened to it, that sort of suggested that it was, uh, in fact, genuine, uh, including just Brooklyn's voice. It sounded like he was almost shaking towards the tail end of it. It was oh, it was hard to listen to. It did get the headlines, though, didn't it? In, in all sorts of ways, it would have mm. brought people to the program and then even Prime Minister Scott Morrison uh, in his bid to reach voters at the moment, he went on the show and, and he talked about it and it just did that sort of feeding the, the content beast that uh, radio and, and the media rely on. I'm not sure that it would change uh, Brooklyn's approach to reporting uh, the news. I don't think he's going to veto stories about Kyle's alleged mate Gladys Berejiklian just because, you know, he thinks it's fake news. It would have been very odd if they hadn't reported on it uh, at the time. So in a way, as uncomfortable as it was, it will probably end up benefiting the program because Kyle got to have his tantrum, he got to have his say, Brooklyn still did his job uh, as he should, and then they got heaps and heaps of headlines and they got the Prime Minister talking about it. Well, this is true, and I think uh, both Brooklyn and Jackie handled themselves and Kyle uh, as best they could in that situation. I think Brooklyn is a really uh, good uh, broadcast journalist. Uh, You can tell, and I'm a regular listener to the show, that he takes his job incredibly seriously as a journalist, so I hope it doesn't impact it. Uh, But it does beg the question... uh, is there too much power held by some broadcasters? And I think we're seeing a shift in that over time. I think if you were to make a list of, you know, overly powered breakfast radio people, say, five years ago versus today, it would be incredibly different. We've seen a number of them leave, even most recently, uh, Marcus Paul not returning to 2SM after a disgusting competition on his radio show. Yeah, I don't even want to give Marcus Paul any uh, attention, bandwidth or uh, breath, but I... I'm sure that uh, there are lots of, you can just Google it if you want to know, uh, if you want to know what happened there. But I think Kyle does have a lot of power. He's manufactured it 
that way, you know, he talks about it like he's not employed by the radio station, almost like he's a, a contractor or someone who chooses to show up to work each day and bless them with his presence. He does have a lot of power, though, because of the ratings and the commercial dollars that he brings in to KISS and his proven track record that if he leaves a breakfast show, that breakfast show will continue to struggle for years and years and years. So he's got a lot in his favour in terms of his bargaining power with ARN and its parent company, HTE. I don't know that that translates to him directly influencing and impacting the news agenda though. The news is what it is and whilst commercial media outlets can have a bias, can have a skew, they're not going to ignore the biggest news story of the day which was Gladys Berejiklian calling uh, Scott Morrison a, a horrible, horrible person allegedly. I think it's also good to see more of politics bleed into FM radio. I mean, K&J, back in their two-day tenure, didn't really cover politics in the same way that they do now. I think a lot of the politicians didn't want to go anywhere near them. Uh, But, of course, that all changed uh, over at KISS some years ago, and they have put more focus on political content, uh, and politicians have been more comfortable to go in and chat to them in in order to sort of reach those uh, new audiences. Uh, Just quickly, though, back to Marcus Paul who you want to give no oxygen to. Did you see Friendly Geordies has launched a, uh, a petition on change.org to have uh, what he calls the best radio host in Australia reinstated? I don't know if any of what you just said is satire or not. I don't even know how to respond. <laughs> uh, all right, up next, our hot take of the week. Should checkbook journalism be banned? That's entertainment hot take. No surprises here. Our hot take this week is around checkbook journalism and whether or not it should be banned. Uh, Of course, this comes after the 60 Minutes story, which Nine paid $2 million for reportedly uh, on Sunday night, uh, chronicling the story of uh, Cleo Smith and uh, her mother and stepfather after uh, little Cleo was abducted at a camping site in Western Australia, which, gee, that generated a lot of headlines to begin with, didn't it? It did. There are a few stories that genuinely seem to capture the, the heart of the nation and have everybody's attention and everybody becomes invested in the outcome across the political spectrum and across the the media spectrum. So it's no surprise that people wanted to hear more about what had happened and hear more about the little girl involved. I think it brings up a number of issues here, not the least of which is that It hasn't concluded in terms of the court process. Whilst the alleged perpetrator has pleaded uh, guilty, which could uh, shorten the process and might mean less trauma for the people involved, it's not done yet. And I think the problem with going too early is it can lead to allegations of corrupting the court process or changing people's minds about an issue and This won't necessarily go in front of a jury because he has pleaded guilty, so he doesn't need to be tried. It's still not done, though, and I'm very uncomfortable when uh, there's still investigations going on, there's still questions about other people's involvement. There's already all sorts of conspiracies whenever children are involved and whenever children are abducted. To give it that kind of oxygen before it's concluded is really problematic. The best Four words of 2021. What's your name, sweetheart? My name is Cleo. Your name is Cleo. Hello, Cleo. Now, in 2022, Cleo Smith's mum and dad want to speak 
Claire got onto the phone and she's like, hi, mummy. And I was like, hi, baby. It was such a beautiful moment. Brand new stories every week. I did watch the 60 Minutes report um, on replay yesterday. It was a good piece. I don't think it really got the numbers that they were hoping for, certainly not for $2 million, although there is some suggestion that the deal includes uh, more time with them, perhaps for a mini-series. And, of course, uh, after the fact, on Monday, they popped up on uh, Ben Fordham's breakfast show on 2GB uh, and also on the Today Show uh, on Channel 9. But... uh, There was also a concerted effort to thank police and partner agencies involved with it, uh, which was certainly heartfelt. But then the next day, I think there was a a statement from WA Police saying there may still be charges to lay here. There could be more to this. Uh, And I think the timing is everything. And it definitely feels like this was half-baked. I mean, they wanted to get it out whilst the country was still thinking about Cleo, still basking in the glory of her being found uh, safe and alive. I guess the challenge Channel 9 had is if they waited, how much would people's hearts and minds and the news agenda have moved on? Even though they acted very, very quickly, though, it only pulled in 750,000 Metro viewers, which was off the back of the 825,000 Metro viewers, which was the lead-in who watched Married at First Sight. So it was a heavily, heavily promoted program, had a pretty solid launch audience from the program before it, and it still only got 750,000. It wasn't necessarily the appointment television that perhaps Channel 9 were expecting where people were going to sit down and hear about the Cleo Smith abduction as it happened, as it was broadcast. You mentioned you caught up uh, on Nine Now on its uh, streaming service. I imagine a number of people will do that, but I suspect more people will just read the headlines and then get engaged in the debate about whether or not this was appropriate and whether or not money should change hands over the the trauma of a child. Because the other thing that sits a bit uncomfortably with me is Yes, her parents have been incredibly traumatised. Yes, if money's on the table, you know, I would probably take $2 million as well. Cleo hasn't had a say in this, though. She didn't have a say in her abduction and now she hasn't had a say in her story being broadcast to 750,000 Metro viewers, to her image being beamed all across the country. She will have to forever grow up being that girl and the media has certainly not helped that effort. Checkbook journalism is nothing new. I mean, it's probably as old as journalism itself, to be (laughs) honest. Uh, And we've seen so many examples of it in Australia, whether it was... uh, you know, minors in uh, Tasmania, whether it was uh, people uh, affected by, uh, I think it was in Threadbow many years ago. Um, And there's often these sort of celebrity managers, these Max Markson types at the centre of it, you know, they're, as they're being pulled into an ambulance already trying to strike a deal with them. Uh, It really is this sort of ambulance chasing stuff. Uh, Is it good for journalism? Or is there a different way to go about it? I think a story such as this uh, would happen with or without the checkbook. There's enough to talk about. There's enough to dissect. It's just so murky when it's the same network, indeed the same program that was involved in the saga in Lebanon uh, where they tried to sort of get children back for a heartbroken mother from their father. And 
it was very, very complex. And when families are involved and when children are involved and when money are involved, beaming that onto the television, I just have such a problem with it because of what it could do to the children. If there's consenting adults involved taking the money, taking the risk, that's one thing. And if the networks have money to pay and if people are going to tune in and watch it, it's a bit of an ethical dilemma for the profession, but not so much of an ethical dilemma for society. When you drag children in, it's not just an ethical dilemma for the profession, it's an ethical dilemma for the wider society. You know, she's four years old uh, and her parents have now made $2 million off her trauma and that will follow her around for the rest of her life. I don't begrudge her parents having to make that decision Uh you know that they're in the situation that they're in, uh, but it just feels a little bit, a little bit grubby to be talking about a four-year-old. I even feel a bit grubby talking about it on here. But I think when she grows up, uh, the episode in mid-February of That's Entertainment in 2022 will be the least of Cleo Smith's worries. <laughs> I would agree. Uh, you could say it. You could argue that it's not even journalism at all. It's just checkbook television, really. I mean. It was a great interview, but when you put a price tag on it, uh, is it really still journalism? Oh, I feel like that's a, a question for uh, others far more intelligent than, than myself to, to mull over. I don't think it really matters what label you put on it. The everyday person who's sitting down to watch this show, the, the demographic of 60 Minutes and the demographic of people who want to know what happened to Cleo Smith probably aren't sitting around uh, with their dinner on their lap after watching maths thinking, gosh, is this journalism or, or is this entertainment? I think that's more a question for the people who run this program and, and who run Channel 9. They have to think about that. In a way, though, I'm glad it didn't pull in millions and millions of viewers. It makes me feel a little bit better about the whole saga. And I do know that it has sparked a really interesting conversation about whether or not millions of dollars should be paid to people from the media to hear about and to lengthen their trauma. Uh, speaking of trauma, if uh, 60 Minutes offered you $2 million to do a, a tell-all on the uh, advertising, media, marketing, music industry, would you take it? Uh, I would need to also be backed by some absolute promises that they would also pay out all of the defamation cases that would come <laughs> my way. So uh, I would have to read uh, read all of the small print before signing on that dotted line. Are you suggesting that you're sitting on a bunch of spicy materials? I am suggesting that I'm sitting on a bunch of uh, spicy materials, but also materials that would land me before the court. Okay, so I won't ask you to share any of them then. Well, are you going to back my defamation bill? Absolutely not. Well then, don't <laughs> ask. Uh, cool, I think that's it for this week. That was short and sweet. Was it? Was it? We were once again plagued by all sorts of issues, but as we are professionals, we'll just let it go. <laughs> See you next week. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and review this episode on your favourite podcast app. If you have a news tip for next week's show, email us tips at thatsentertainment.com.au. 